Hey, dealmakers, and welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Let's do this. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. This is the show for you. Uh, today on the show, we have Christian Osgood. And what's really cool about him is that he uses creative financing to get into multifamily real estate. Typically, we, we talk about syndication, raising capital from others. He just wasn't exposed to it and figured out another way to do the same thing, but with creative financing, seller financing and things of that nature. So I think it was a, it's a really, really cool twist. And it really shines a light on the fact that we need to be creative when we're getting into any kind of real estate. We shouldn't be asking ourselves, can we do this? But how can we do this? And so this is a really, really cool interview with Christian here. We'll start in just a second. I want to do a shout out to James Furlow, who gave us a review on Amazon for the Yellow Book. He found this yellow book to be highly actionable without a lot of fluff of repetition. The companion course was great. That's right. There's a companion course. When you buy the book, there's a free companion course with videos and things like that. So when I'm talking about something in a book and you want to see me, for example, analyze a deal, that is in the companion course. Okay, I forgot about that. I used many of the downloads he writes, including the sample deal package. I feel confident I'll do my first syndication within the next 12 months. So if you haven't read the yellow book yet, Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing on Amazon, check that out. Also want to give a shout out to Nate Venz, and he was using the syndicated deal analyzer, which is probably the most widely used analysis tool for syndications on the planet. And he purchased the SDA and he closed on his first deal. And then he decided to work with a full-time mentor in our program. And a month after joining the mentoring program, he found and closed on the second deal through networking with our DealMaker Mastermind community. And he has scaled very rapidly. He currently has 472 doors and will be closing on his third deal of 228 units in Texas. And so a lot of times when people join our mentoring program, they want to do it because they want to scale faster. And working with a full-time syndicator who owns thousands of units really does that. And it also avoids some of the bigger mistakes that you might make when you get into this business. So if you're interested in mentoring, check us out. We're at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor and just schedule a call with us and have a conversation and see if mentoring is right for you. With that, let's bring on our co-host, Garrett Lynch. What's going on, Garrett? What's going on, Michael? And we're talking about creative real estate. And, you know, we're talking about our guests here. And like so many people, they get started with smaller single family house or maybe du duplexes. You know, and we're trying to talk people out, out of that. But I mean, how did you get started with multifamily did you bypass single family house investing or or did you or did you actually get started with single family house investing as well so i i guess i kind of did a hybrid so i was buying portfolios of single families duplexes and triplexes all together so we'd buy like let's say 25 units in a combination of single families duplexes triplexes as a package and that was in D-class areas in the south side of Chicago. Your favorite. My yeah, favorite. Yeah, yeah favorite. my absolute favorite. Yeah. So, you love the ghetto. Yeah. Best time ever. So <laughs> we bought these portfolios and then we'd go, we'd go in and you know, we had to manage them. And a lot of them were, you know, section A. But, you know, I remember having that, the 300 units I had, the D-class, took up when we, when we finally scaled up to like 3,000 apartments, that 300 unit package, I'd say ate up about 30% of our bandwidth comparably to the rest of the portfolio because a few reasons. A, it's 
everybody knows like don't buy D class. It's just super intensive. Obviously on the, on the active side, there's just way more problems. You're dealing with crime and other, other variables that you don't want to be dealing with. But the other thing is when you start to scale portfolio and it's houses or it's duplexes, triplexes, anything that's like really under four units, which is technically residential, not commercial, you have, you run into, you know, you've got multiple lawns to mow, multiple roofs to maintain a lot of extra deferred maintenance. You've got, you know, many more hot water heaters to deal with. And it's not all in one specific central located area. Even if you're, even if they're on the similar blocks and stuff, still someone's got to drive around and, and hit all those versus you can walk across the property. So all that stuff adds up and it makes a less efficient operation in general, even if you're doing those packages of them and, and you just start scaling into that stuff. So eventually it can, now it could be a great starting ground for anyone because it's, it, you know, maybe it's simpler to buy that, that kind of situation, but eventually those people end up getting out of that when they're trying to scale their business. And if you can figure out how to not even start there, even better. <laughs> so, so yeah, highly recommend it. That's why we do this podcast is so, you know, people consider st- uh, skipping the single family house investing saying, I didn't build a huge portfolio like you guys did. I was just, you know, we were just flipping houses and I had a similar realization and we flipped like three dozen houses in three years. It's not too bad. It's not a huge operation. But it occurred to me that, you know, when I'm, when I'm not buying, fixing and selling, I'm not making money. And then worse, once I sell it, there's no residual income from that. And I was like, man, that's, that's not passive income. I mean, it's income, but it's not passive income. And so a lot of people make a very similar realization. When I was writing my book and through the podcast, I realized that even though a lot of people get started with single family, they realize they can't achieve their goal of financial freedom. And then they pivot. They pivot to multifamily within like months or a year. They're literally financially free. That's how quick it goes. And and so, you know, ever since doing this in 2014, we're now teaching people to bypass single family house entirely and get right in apartments. And that's what makes this so powerful and exciting. And we have a similar story today with Christian Osgood here today because he's only like 30 years old. And he left his job when he was 29 years old, then partnered with a 21-year-old guy, Cody Davis. And he was interviewed on the podcast on episode 257, right? And these are two young guys and, you know, they're not exposed to syndication. They kind of got into this thing literally without hearing syndication. It's like living under a rock for crying out loud, right? And, and so instead of saying, oh, I can't do this, they simply become creative and engage with the sellers directly. And so we want to understand from Christian how he does that. How does he find these sellers? He's got some cool ninja stuff. And then what does he say to them? And it's completely counterintuitive what what I might or maybe even Garrett would say to these guys. He has this counterintuitive thing where he engages them and then gets in a conversation and then works out some kind of deal. And they've been doing this to, you know, now they have just about over 100 units together. All these creative financing techniques. So let's get into that with Christian Osgood. Here we go. Hi, right, Christian. Welcome to the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. So this is pretty cool. You quit your job when you were 29 years old, which is super cool. You're super young. And I'm just curious, why did you get started with real estate? Like how old were you? How did you, and why did you get started? And then maybe what was your initial strategy? Like, what were you first thinking? You know, you read rich dad, poor dad, you got real estate on the brain. Like, why did you, why did you get started with real estate? Well, man, I wanted to get started at real estate at a pretty young age. I, I was trying to figure it out uh, in college, figured I need to get a job first and save up money. So I went more to the conventional route, graduated college, got a job in sales and 
kept trying to save up eventually did a little live and flip in a condo. And I was like, wow, this is a really slow way to start going. So it actually took me a seven year sales career and a whole lot of books and where everyone gets stuck on the analysis paralysis. I was stuck there for about seven years before I finally figured out the easiest way to become an investor is to just invest. So bought a duplex within six months of that, bought my second duplex within two months of that, bought a 38 plex with my business partner, Cody Davis. And from there we skyrocketed, but it took me seven years to realize that to get started, you have to get started. Well, that's a, that's, you know, it seems so obvious, uh, Christian, but it's, you know, you're absolutely right. Now, the, a lot of people get started with single family house investing. And some people do it for years before they realize, gosh, they can't actually become financially free. And, mm-hmm. and so you, now you started small, but you started with a duplex and it sounds to me like you got started with the real estate with the idea of scaling in the apartments right away. Am I right about that? And, and, if, and if so, what gave you the confidence to essentially skip what a lot of people consider the first step? Well, I figured it's about as easy to go broke on a house as it is a 38-plex. If you're going to go big, you might as well go all the way. I, I'm not a fan of, of leveraging for something that doesn't get you to your goal. So uh, you know, I, I did the, little, the live and flip thing. I made a little bit of money and I was like, wow, there has to be a way to do this more efficiently. Coming from the nine to five world, it took me a second to transition into larger apartments. So starting with duplexes made sense to me until I did two of them. And I was like, huh, that's not that much faster than single family. So it took me a second. I actually ended up buying my duplex across the street from a sixplex that Cody Davis had just purchased. And so that's how me and him really got connected. We were working at the same company. I didn't really know him. We became property neighbors. And I learned he was at the time 20 years old and had 30 units. And I was like, huh, how am I 28 and have four and you're, you're 20 and have 30? That was my goal by 30. So yeah, we, uh, that's, yeah, yeah, I Cody, just kind of Cody's observed not it. the normal, normal quote, you know, college dropout kid for, for sure. Now, what, <laughs> what were you, uh, Christian, what were you doing before, before you got an apartment? What was your job? So I was working about four years prior to that. My, my roundabout way of getting into real estate was I was working for CoStar, LoopNetApartments.com, that whole organization selling data, LoopNet advertising. I figured, and this is incorrect thinking, by the way, for anyone watching this, I figured the easiest way to get into real estate was to be in a job related to real estate. So I meet a bunch of people. I'm in the industry. Going back to our first point, though, if you want to be an investor, working for CoStar doesn't make you an investor. I also hear a lot of people say, like, do I need to be a broker to do this? Well, only if you want to be a broker. Being a broker doesn't make you an investor. Same thing. <laughs> so funny. Took me a little yeah, while so to figure it out, yeah. but one duplex at a, at a time, law of the first deal, right? You get in and all of a sudden it starts to go very quickly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's interesting. So, so you got into this duplex thing and then you ran into Cody and you're like, man, this kid is so young and he's already got more units than I have. And did I, did I kind of motivate you to, to take the step it up from a duplex? That was a huge motivation for me. The other thing, I had set this goal and I set it a little late. It was like the very end of me being 28 years old. I was like, I want to have 30 units by 30 years old. I ran into Cody. I had just turned 29. So I was like, well, I have 40 units. How do I get to 30? And so I was working this with Cody and he actually came over to my house one night and he's like, I have an idea. I can't help you get to 30 units, but there's a 38 plex. So I can get you to 42 because this is too big for me to take out. And I don't, I, I think after that conversation, it just clicked for me. I'm like, it was actually a little bit easier to close the 38 plex seller finance than it was 
the prior two duplexes. Hmm. And it clicked for me right there. I'm like, oh, it's a little harder to manage, but it's not astronomically different buying a duplex and a 38plex. The process is roughly the same, except that the 38plex makes more money. And yeah. from there, yeah. we scaled a lot well, quicker. I want to get into 38 here, but the, the yep. first two preceding deal of duplexes, how did you buy them? Where did you come up with a down payment for the, for those? Did you have some money saved up? Did you have a rich uncle? Did you raise some money or what did you do? Yeah, I wish I had the rich uncle. That's the, the nice thing. And I, I'm really grateful that I didn't. For both Cody and I, we didn't have any family help. And boy, that's really been good for the social media because we get all these posts every time we post anything. It's daddy's money. If you know where my rich dad is, I haven't found him yet. So please refer him to me. Working for CoStar, it's, it's a relatively high paying job. So I'd, I'd saved up enough to, I bought myself my, my primary residence, the, the house that I'm in right now. I bought a duplex and I had just enough money to do the renovations. I actually, the second duplex, I bought hard money, uh, 101% financed. I, I still don't know how I convinced them to do that, but they said, okay. I had to support the renovation cost, which was about $50,000. and I was totally out of money at that point. So my money got me my house and two duplexes. And from there, I'm like, well, all my assets cash flow minus my house, but my duplexes pay me more per month than my mortgage. So my real estate buys my real estate and I'm totally out of money. So the other 91 units we bought through the next year, we had to get creative because I had some experience. I had some relationships. I had some time. We had absolutely no capital of our own from that point on. Yeah. And so how did you guys solve that? So when, when, when Cody approached about a 30, 38 unit, how did you guys get into that? So Cody was interesting. He never had any money or job to begin with. So he had to start from zero and it took him about nine months to find the first deal. But his first deal was a 12 plex seller financed in the county that we invest heavily in Grant County. He did 10% down and then he raised the 10%. And it was a fantastic deal. Cash flowed over $1,000 a month day one. And when you're 19 years old and you have your first deal and the cash flow Look, is living four figures parents, every month, he's like, you're living in your parents' like, couch. It. Yeah. Yeah. His expenses were kind of basically zero almost. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So he did that with that one. He did it with his next 12 plex. And so he had already gotten a little bit of a rhythm doing these. We had never done a significant capital raise before. And Cody hadn't done a big capital raise by himself. He'd always had some partner. So when we came into the 38, we found a deal. It had been on market for 13 years at the same price. The income was absolutely garbage. However, the upside was huge and you needed a really active team to take it on. So when you have at the time, a 21 year old and a 29 year old who are super hungry and ready to go, I was like, okay, I, I see how we need to run this. We just can't go negative early in the game. We can't buy negative cash flow. So we got together with the owners and this is where we started the whole relationship thing. Instead of going after deals, we learn who people are, what their goals are and the significance behind them. The people selling this deal were a little bit older and by a little bit, I mean in their eighties, they didn't know how to manage the property and they wanted to retire on $10,000 a month. So instead of going after price, like everyone had for 13 years, we just talked to them about terms. We're like, we need time to get the income up high enough to pay you $10,000 a month. So we just negotiated for a lower monthly payment, $300,000 down on a $2 million purchase. The deal's phenomenal. We raised it in four phone calls, our first time ever capital raising together. 
Three investors came on as equity partners. We bought them out six months later, but we got that, I think last month, when we started, it was bringing in like five and a half grand a month. Last month, 10 months after purchase, uh, it was bringing in $28,000 a month, which is a little bit better and easy to service $10,000 a month debt. So that's how we structured that deal and how it came together. It was sitting there on LoopNet available for anyone since Cody was eight years old. So it's a, <laughs> deals are out there. You just have to be able to see them through a different lens than, hey, I want to beat someone up on price or I'm focused on the deal. It's just, who's the person at the other end of the table? What do they need? And then you go back to Kiyosaki, it's how do I buy it? Not, you know, let's force the deal through. It's how do we get to exactly what they want to do? If I can't do it today, let's come up with a straightforward path to get from point A to point B. And that's what we did. So I'm really excited about our mentoring program because of the results that we're achieving for our students. It's really the only program out there that guarantees results, meaning that we can guarantee you're going to do your first deal in the first 12 months. And uh, no one else does that. And we can do that because we have figured out the blueprint to getting people to do your first deal. So if you value mentorship and you feel like it can accelerate your goals, allow you to scale bigger and avoid the expensive mistakes, then check out our mentoring program. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. You can ch- you can schedule a call with us there, a strategy session, and see if mentoring is right for you. That's themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. What kind of objections do you run into when you're trying to go and get the seller finance deal? Most of it, when, when it's on market, and we're almost exactly 50% on market, 50% off market. When it's on market, my objections usually come from the broker not understanding how to do seller financing. Our last deal, I can't tell you how many times I, the broker goes, okay, so it's interest only on a 30-year AM. I'm like, that's no, that's not possible. It's, it's either, it's, it's not advertised if it's interest only. So it's brokers not knowing how to play the creative game is usually the objections or they'll get weird about their commissions. I've run into very little resistance on seller financing since we're not going after the smaller properties, I actually network typically with people who have mastered the game, who've held the real estate for a while. They typically have a lower debt load on their assets. So when we get to conversing, I've never actually asked someone to sell a property. I've also never written an LOI before. I just meet people, learn what they're trying to do, communicate a little bit about myself. And it always circles back. If, If you meet, say, in your target market, one owner a week, just one person and meet them for coffee, 52 meetings where people know what you're trying to do and you know what they're trying to accomplish. They just kind of come together. So when people know, hey, uh, we're really good operators. We have this business model. We've done a lot of creative finance. They typically reach out and actually suggest it. So with owners, they usually offer it up to me. I know that's not the norm. How do you induce that though? So what are what are you telling them to induce them to offer it to you? Because that's that's interesting. I don't know that I like the word, the verbiage induce them to offer, but I am being a human. It's, it's relationship-based sales. So Cody and I, we have a, a little mentorship group that we do. And in it, we have a, a circle drill. And I've taken this from a few people, but it's just mastering how you tell your story. So you have three pieces to it. You have the relatability, which is just you go into the conversation. It's something that you find common ground. And from that, you communicate a goal and the significance behind that goal. And that's you. So for me, the the big thing for me was I wanted to retire my wife because I'm not going to be political here at all, but Washington state education politics are a little bit odd. And 
my wife wanted to get out of teaching and I was like, okay, well, how can we do that through real estate? So I started buying duplexes. When I started calling people who have 12 plexes, 38 plexes, larger buildings, the conversation was for relatability. Hey, I own the duplex down the street. We're property neighbors. Oh, well, I'm not selling. Awesome. I just spent all my money on the duplex. So I'm, I don't even know how I buy your property. I'm actually trying to figure out how to get my wife out of teaching. One duplex at times a little bit slow. I was curious how you bought this 12 plex. I've now communicated in a few sentences, a story that's true. That's just me and what I'm trying to do. And I've shifted onto them. And usually when it's authentic, people will tell you a little bit about your story. You book a coffee meeting, you get face to face and you learn how they got started in real estate. And a lot of those mid-size, small to mid-size apartment buildings, a lot of people started where I did, where it's, hey, I didn't have anything. My family wasn't on board with real estate. I had to figure it out. And I get the story of how they figured it out. So in a, so, it's, it's a longer process. I'm not shotgunning deals. It's very, very targeted. It's with individuals, it's relationships, and they'll do seller financing, not for some financial benefit. Like some people have all these reasons for hey, it's tax efficiencies, or you can get interest on your money. People do it because they want to help move us forward. And we understand what their needs are. There's an actual relationship. And with a relationship, there's trust. And with trust, they're like, okay, well, I'll sell our finance because I know how what you're trying to do and how you're going to operate this property. It's all non-recourse debt. So they believe that we will make that property that they're selling to us work worth more and their collateral will increase, which gives them a different level of comfort. And that's where we get stuff at the lowest we've done is 4.5% down. Seller financed on a 3% interest deal. You can get crazy with terms when you have trust and you understand the other party. I think it's interesting that you're reaching out to them, not with the intent to buy, right? You're almost like, hey man, how'd you get started? You know, it's kind of like we're doing in this interview right now. It's kind of a totally non-threatening way to build rapport with somebody. The question I have is, how are you finding these sellers, right? Because a lot of sellers are hidden behind LLCs or behind brokers. You know, how are you getting this phone conversation that allows you to maybe meet them for coffee? So we only use Google Maps. That's how I. That's how we drive for dollars. The nice thing is, uh, this, was, <laughs> this was another one. I think Cody was the one who first coined this, but he's like, I found a website that has every property we could ever buy. I was like, no way. He's like, yeah, it's Google Maps. We can just drive the we can just drive the street. And if it's a big long roof, it's probably multifamily. So, and it's it's a little bit different everywhere you are, but everything's public record. Because we're trying to meet for relationships, we're not trying to my game isn't submit offers on a lot of properties. And I have people in my group who do that and it works. You can you can brute force it and volume works, but just depending on how you how you play it, you can hunt with a shotgun or a rifle. We have a rifle approach. So for us, I can look at one property and say, I need to meet that owner. And I can spend 15 minutes digging through, find the LLC that owns it on the county tax data and plug into a free website like Open Corporates. And you can usually find the person, take the person's name, Google it with the city that they own in. There's been one time I didn't find a phone number. We've done it for celebrities we wanted to meet. You can Google anyone's phone number if you have 15 minutes and some idea of what you're doing. And that's, that's all we've ever done. I haven't used any software to do that. That's cool. So as you, when you call them, kind of what's your, what's your pitch, right? Cause I mean, sometimes these guys get called by other people. Hey, I want to buy your property. I want to buy your land. Right. And now you're calling them and obviously you sound a little bit different. So what is your, what's your kind of your cold call script when you call these guys up? Well, the good, the good news for me is both Cody and I are always 
almost always illiquid. We keep all the money in the portfolio. I don't, I don't carry a lot of liquidity at any given time. So whenever someone's like, hey, I'm not selling. I'm like, great. I, I wouldn't know how I was going to buy that. I, I just bought this building down the street. That's usually an objection that people get that they get stumped on where I'm, you're just a human. You give them your pieces. It's like, okay, cool. Well, that's not why I'm calling. Here's where I'm at today. You have an asset that I haven't figured out how to buy, or you're on a street that I've never figured out how to own on. You've done something that I haven't done. How'd you get there? And that usually, and by usually, I mean, it always works for us. I, I have had people I've tried to coach through this get stuck there. And I think the difference is just tonality. When you have the confidence of, you know, people get defensive and you just competently just answer whatever they're hesitant about. I'm not selling. I'm not trying to buy your property. I uh, don't even know how I do it. I do have a question for you though. I almost never get resistance to that. I don't know if that's, I, I don't know that that's normal, but we just don't get a lot of resistance. Well, because you're asking for, you know, for, for advice, right. In a non-threatening way. And then people are like, man, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't mind helping this guy, you know, he's trying to be like me, you know, and people actually do want to help. And, and I've, I've asked people before, you know, has anybody ever asked you for help? And they're like, no, you're like the first one, you know, they're like, I can't believe no one's asked me for help. And so that's pretty cool. So you get into a conversation with this person and you get to understand them and they understand you. And they'll always say, well, shoot, man. I mean, you're 80 years old. You're trying to get out. Why don't, why don't we do something here? Why don't we do something together? Talk about how seller financing, it can be structured. So when, when you sell seller financing, what does that look like for people who may not know what this, what this looks like? So basically seller financing, like 101, the, the seller is the bank. You don't bring in private capital. You can blend the two, but just to keep it super simple, the seller carries the note and it's typically backed by the property. The way we've done it, it's for us typically non-recourse debt. So it's backed by the equity in the asset. What I love about anything in the creative finance realm, seller financing, contract for deed, any of the many, many strategies that you can take out seller financing with is you're not limited to price. And that's where most deals get stuck is people have them on market, especially when they're there on market for a long time and they're just, the numbers don't make sense with traditional finance. Everything's negotiable. Your price is negotiable, but we almost never negotiate on that. Because if we get the right terms, you can do anything. You have the interest payment, the principal payment, because you can do interest only or a custom amortization schedule. Your balloon payment is flexible. I actually had someone from our group, a couple of 19-year-olds, they close, I think today, maybe tomorrow, on a 10-plex where they needed time to raise the rents to make it make sense. They just asked for six months of non-payment until just deferred payments. Like we're going to have the note start six months after close. And so I was like, okay, so they have no debt service for six months. You can get as creative as you want on seller financing, which is how you make deals that might otherwise not work, work. Taking it to an extreme example, you have a property worth a million dollars today and someone wants $2 million for it. Most people would say, well, I'm just not going to do that. For me, if I had 2% interest debt, and a 50-year note, I'm going to say that property is going to be worth more than $2 million in 50 years. As long as the property cash flows, which is the main rule, you can't buy negative cash flow. That's how you lose. But the only rules of the game are how do I own it and how do I never lose it? And seller financing, if you can play with those inputs, 
and answer both questions. I own it by meeting their objectives. And I never lose it by getting a cash flowing asset in long-term fixed rate debt. You can technically scale indefinitely. Now, sometimes you still need a down payment. In fact, you and Cody actually raised some money for it. So do you blend syndication with seller financing? Is that, is that part of your strategy? Or how do you, if you don't raise the money, how do you get the, the equity piece, the down payment piece? How do you take care of that? For our properties, we haven't, we haven't used syndication. It's not that I'm not open to it. It, just, it hasn't been something that we need to do yet. I think for syndication, if it came into play with our strategy, we're probably looking at uh, taking a collection of properties and syndicating. We haven't used it yet because we haven't needed to. For the negotiations we've done, it's all been JV or private capital. So for some of the deals, like a smaller deal for us, we bought these three beautiful side-by-side duplexes from one of our early mentors. One of the people who plopped us in their car and showed us their whole portfolio. When I called asking how they did it, they're like, it's easier if I show you. And two hours of driving properties later, I was like, oh my goodness, these guys own like half the town. It's incredible. They did a deal with us. It was 10% down, but it's only a $90,000 raise. So something like that, it's easy to make one phone call. And if it's a high cash flow deal day one, I like to structure as debt because we have 100% ownership. If I need a little bit of time to raise rents or improve the asset, we'll typically bring on a JV partner in an equity position. However, we don't want long-term partners. So they come in as equity with a fixed buyout. And that's how we've raised all of our capital. So for the 38, three people came on, $100,000 each for the $300,000 total raise. And each of them had a buyout agreement for five years down the line. The project went way better and faster than we expected. We were able to buy them out in six months. Now, Cody and I own the asset and we never actually put any of our own money into the deal. So you have a buyout agreement, and, and I assume it has some kind of minimum return on the money? Kind of yes. Like, like a hurdle rate? Yeah, mm-hmm. so it will be, we've done so many different structures. The capital raise is exactly like the creative finance. You meet people in a market, you get to know their goals and objectives. Instead of trying to match one strategy to a deal. So instead of going, hey, I'm going to try to seller finance everything, or I'm going to try to syndicate everything, or I'm going to try to burr everything. We find the deal first, and then you figure out the debt and equity that makes it work. And that's the equation. Deal equals debt plus equity. You figure those out, you're done. So on these, I, I had someone, for example, who wanted to double their money every five years. And that was the goal they had. They're like, I don't want to be too active in real estate. I just want to double my money every five years. For the duplexes, he put in 90 and we have a buyout that says we must buy him out by year five for 180,000. I guarantee him that we hit his goal or he gets the whole complex. We have to sign it over to him. So his collateral is awesome because if we fail, it's the best case scenario for him. He gets a stellar deal, but at the dollars from like five years ago, we're not going to fail to buy him out. Actually, we'll probably do that in the next six to eight months. He gets a stellar return and we get an asset. We never put any money of our own into that. He did the whole down payment. We keep 100% of the cash flow through the five years. We get paid to own it and he doubles his money. So that's an example. You don't always have to raise two to one, but yeah, they have a, a fixed multiple. I hate variables. So I always do a fixed rate buyout. Of we have in this period of time, an obligation to buy you out at this fixed price. 
So you said you said you wait till you get a deal before you go and approach investors, but you have to cultivate them before that. So I'm just curious, what is the narrative you're talking to investors? First of all, how do you find them? How are you finding your investors? And then, and then what's the narrative or the conversation you have prior to you guys finding a deal so that they're ready to go when it's time? I've never groomed anyone for capital. All we do is we just meet people playing real estate. That, that's, I mean, that, that really is it. I'm at a few real estate meetups and I just talk to people about what their goals are. Uh, I think where a lot of people get stuck from my experience is I go to these meetups and people just talk about themselves and they don't learn everyone else's objectives. We just listen. I go through, I meet a few people every week. Then I'm calling a few owners every week. And by prospecting for owners, I make five calls a week. That's the metric I set for myself. So we're not phone warriors. We're not driving for dollars. I'm just meeting a few people and talking to them about their goals. When we have a deal, instead of saying like, hey, it's capital time. I have the opportunity it's a continuation of the last conversation I had. So when we start a conversation, it's, hey, based on our last conversation, I just had something come up and I wanted to run it by you. Cody and I went under contracts. We're actually doing a, a resort right now, seller financed uh, on the Hood Canal in Washington. It's, it's gorgeous. But there's a triplex next door that was a really cool property. So we look at those and we go, well, well you know, if we wanted to do that deal, I have people who wanted to fund the resort who I can just call and say, like, hey, we have another deal. Now, we're not doing that until we close the other one, but that's how I look at opportunities is I find the deal because there's just more money out there than there are deals. It's really easy to raise capital if you just know a few people and just call through my phone list. Hey, guys, we had a conversation. I, I think I have the deal that answers the pieces that you gave me. So do you think that creative financing in general is a good way to scale your portfolio for you guys personally, or, or is it best suited for someone to get started, to do you know, a handful of deals to get started? Or do you, are you guys basically banking your scaling plan on seller financing? Talk to us about that a little bit. I love that because a while back, I think it was when he was 20, Cody paid like every dollar he had to go meet with Grant Cardone for, for 30 minutes. And... In his conversation, he actually had some decent takeaways. I'm not advocating for spending every dollar you have to meet with, with, with a guru. However, one of the things Grant told Cody was, okay, you're going to have problems scaling because you just can't scale seller finance. So Cody came back and we were talking about it. And I was like, well, what if you could? And so far it's worked. Our current acquisition, we closed on the 28th on a deal. It's that resort deal, but it's seller finance. It's a, it's a four and a half million dollar sale. And it was pretty easy to put together seller financed. There's opportunities everywhere to do it. I haven't hit the deal size personally where we can't seller finance. That said, we're open to every strategy. We actually called our company multifamily strategy because our whole game is learn other people's strategy and implement when appropriate. The bigger your toolbox, the, the better, you, better you can do. So we don't have to. But I see us being able to scale this indefinitely because we can take out anything that we can get the right terms on. Yeah, I, lo I love it. You know, and, and, and having known Cody a little bit, like you said, he, he doesn't have a rich uncle, doesn't have an experience. So he had to get really creative and he wasn't exposed to syndication. So he, he didn't even think it was a thing. Right. And so you guys had to get really creative and I, and I love that. And this is what we really what we do as entrepreneurs. We, we make something happen out of nothing. 
And like you said, we, we don't we don't say, can we do this? It's more, well, how can we do it? And I, I just love how resourceful you guys have been. How can people reach out and connect to you, Christian? Uh, easiest way to reach out to me is I seem to respond best to Instagram. So you can hit me up at ask Christian Osgood. Uh, Cody and I have a YouTube channel that we'd love to invite anyone to take a look at. No, just We just cover how to play the game with the pieces you have. I think we have a couple hundred videos out now, but it's Cody and Christian multifamily strategy. If you want to know the how, we share that for free and we post three videos a week. So feel free to join that anytime. Awesome. I, I love having you on the show here talking about creative way to acquire multifamily real estate. It's really awesome. Christian, thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, absolutely. For anyone trying to get started in it, just remember the two questions. The easiest way to do this. How do I own it? How do I never lose it? If you can answer them, you have a deal. I just love this, right? I mean, you know, he he kind of said, you know, you opened us to the eyes to syndication and and it's amazing, but I think he's opening our our eyes to being creative. And I think even if you're not using creative financing per se, I think the lesson for me is to be as creative or always be creative. There's always a way to solve a problem, whether it's to increase income, reduce expenses, or get a deal done or something or there's some problem, some challenge you want to overcome. How can you get creative to get something done? And I, I think fundamentally, that's the lesson for me here. Yeah, I think he, he was really good at thinking outside the box and then not only just being creative, but trying to solve problems on both sides. So if you can help solve someone's potential problem, you find out, you build a relationship, don't really have any expectations on that relationship. And if something comes of it, great. And then you do that enough times, things start to come out of the woodwork. And I think that's what you're finding with their strategy is that they have kind of the tools that they they know that they're going to tap into potentially, but they're they're seeing if it's the if it's the right situation, if there's a, a, a need, if there's some kind of problem that they can help solve. And I think that that's pretty powerful in general. And I love the fact that the, you know they're able to get in some real estate doing so. And and I think the whole seller financing thing is it's really something I've, I've only done a couple times. So I'm not like the expert on it, but the way that these guys have been able to find creative way to get into, into these things, it's, it's just, it's really incredible. Yeah. I mean, normally we, we advise people to work with brokers because broker make it, make it their business to know all the owners in, in town. And I think that's still good advice. But having, having said that, I think it's, it's, it's a great lesson to, to, to hustle and, and do kind of what Christian and Cody have, have been doing and, you know, drive for dollars using Google Maps. I mean, that's awesome. You know, may, maybe even do a little bit of both. I mean, even if you just get one deal that way, it's, it's worth doing. So anyway, I love that. Hope you guys were inspired by that. If you're listening to this going, man, you know, I'm not quite ready to be active in this and you know, not really interested in doing this myself. We would love to talk to you about investing in some of our deals. Garrett's kind of busy looking for for new deals right now. There's some opportunity out there. So we'd love to have a conversation with you. The, our investment company is called Nighthawk Equity. So head on over to nighthawkequity.com and just click the join button you, and join our investor network, have a conversation with us, and then we can share with you some upcoming opportunities. So again, the lesson here is don't ask, can you do this? It's a foregone conclusion that you can. The bigger question is, how can you do this? So Let's go get a deal done. Talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our Freedom Vault, where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing. Whether you're an active investor just starting out or looking to scale your syndication business or looking to invest passively, head over to themichaelblanc.com slash vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault.